Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. Uh, I want to talk about the cult of celebrity that we live in today. It's, it's all around us. Why? That's the question. Why? Why is it that Instagram is so big? Why is it that YouTube is so big? Why is it that following a celebrity, somehow being part of that world, there's such intense interest? And I'd like to analyze where I think that it comes from. And also, I want to keep in mind another question. What is the blueprint of a human being? We're going to get to that too. Who are you? What are you? And that's going to tie into this discussion as well. And then I want to touch on one more question. There's an interesting word. It's called Netzach. Now, Netzach is a Hebrew word, but it's got two very different English translations. One of them is victory. Another is eternity. So how do those two definitions go together? What does victory have to do with eternity? And then I'll just deepen it for you for one moment, because I personally find this fascinating. If I were to define eternity, I would define it as the endless unfolding of time. I think that's probably the definition most people would give. And yet, Rabbi Yitzhak Isaac Haver, one of our great Kabbalists, one of our greatest rabbis, says something much deeper. Eternity is actually the dimension above time. In other words, it's not ongoing, endless stretches of time. It is a dimension beyond time. There's an old joke that takes place in World War II or whatever it is. uh, And there's a Jew, he's sitting on a, a park bench and he's reading like Der Sturmer, like one of the hardcore Nazi newspapers, you know, with hideous caricatures of Jews, you know, on the on the front page and whatnot. And another Jew comes up to him and says to him, why are you reading that newspaper? And he says, well, it says the Jews control the media, the Jews control the bank. It makes me feel good. You know, it puts me in a good mood. So anyway, so so that's the joke. And and I can tell you, by the way, just from a personal standpoint, I, I've been working here in, in Los Angeles in, in Hollywood, quote unquote, for over 30 years now. And I can tell you that, that the industry is very largely not Jewish. And, and it, it, it may have been, and it, in fact, it, it was, you know, very, you know, populated by, by Jewish people early in the day. But today and for, for a while now, that, that's no longer the case. And, and I'm telling you that from a firsthand basis. Writing staffs, comedy writing rooms, which were historically very Jewish, not at all. Not at all anymore. So, so anyway, just something, something interesting. And I, I give you that as firsthand testimony. Okay, so we're going to talk about celebrity. But first, what I want to do is give you a little history of Hollywood. If you're interested in this subject, it's wonderfully anecdotal and very easy to read. It's called An Empire of Their Own, How the Jews Invented Hollywood by Neil Gabler. It's one of the great anti-Semitic narratives that, that the Jews control the media. And, and it's not true. It's absolutely not true. What is true, though, 
is that the major studios of Hollywood were founded by Jews. So one of the absolutely fascinating aspects of the fact that Hollywood is founded by all these Jewish people who weren't religious is they expressed on a very deep level in movies their Jewish souls. But this was coming from a place that I don't think was um, intentional or conscious even. But you see, the, the Jewish soul is very utopian. In other words, deep down we understand that the world is evolving toward perfection. We call that the Messianic era. And we have something called the Hollywood ending. Everybody knows the Hollywood ending means that you go through all sorts of problems, but it all works out in the end. And the truth is, that is actually true. Everyone's got a share in the world to come. So, so each of our lives has a happy ending. So the world has a happy ending. Our lives have a happy ending. So this idea of the Hollywood ending is really true. And it's so amazing that, that it came from this group of secular Jews. Because it was so much a part of their essence and who they are, it entered into their work and it sent this very awesome message to the entire world. But anyway, like I say, the major Hollywood studios were founded by Jews. And what's interesting is they weren't founded by media savvy people necessarily. You ready for this? They were furriers. They were in the clothing business. <laughs> but it had an impact. Their approach to making coats actually influenced how movies are made till this day. So what do I mean by that? So the European or the French vision of filmmaking, the auteur method, is that really the film is the vision of the director and often the director would be the writer and it would be the product of the imagination of the director. And if you think about it, since the director is the one who's shooting it, it does make sense that that approach to filmmaking not only does it make sense, but you could even say that it's intuitive. But the Hollywood approach to filmmaking, classically speaking, is very different from that. You have the director, you have the writer, you have the clothing department, you have the, the corporate staff, you have all of these different departments. And it's very much parallel to how a piece of clothing was made. You had the people who made the buttons, then you had the people who made the cuffs, then you had the people who sold the cuffs to the shirts, then you had the people who made the collars. And all of these things were sewn together. And that was the same approach that was introduced to the making of movies. Isn't that interesting that the production and methodology of movie making paralleled that of clothing making because Hollywood was founded by people who made clothes. Okay, now let's say you wanted to be a movie star. Well, good luck. <laughs> it's very hard to be a movie star. But let's say you, you wanted to make your case to be a movie star. Well, how are you going to do that? Like the people making these decisions are in this well-protected office on this movie lot that you, you, not only can't you get into the office, you can't even get onto the grounds, the movie lot, where the office is. So you, you don't have a chance. Or let's say I want to write a movie. Well, I can write it, but 
where am I going to get the financing to make it? You know, movies are expensive to make. So how is that going to happen? And remember, we're trying to answer the question, how is it that we started to inhabit this cult of celebrity? But first we're going through the, the history of trying to figure out just how things got this way. There's a joke that Jerry Seinfeld makes in one of his Netflix specials. He created this scene where you were inside the room of the first smartphone. Some person says, hey, what if we put a camera on that thing? That's not going to completely change the world. <laughs> and if you think about it, one person, one person had this idea what if we put a camera on the phone? Like it was just an extra feature, right? Everybody knows what a phone is for so that you can call someone. What is the one thing that people no longer do with phones? <laughs> they text, they photograph, they post, they scan the internet. Very few times do people call each other anymore. In fact, I don't know if you know this to all you older people out there, it's now considered somewhat rude to just call someone if you don't text them first. Like, are you, are you available for a call? You got to give someone some warning. You don't just call them for goodness sakes. That's how far a phone has come from being a phone. Just take a moment to recognize that. Just reflect how the entire world changed in the most significant way because two things got married the phone, and the video camera. Okay, so now let's go back to the person who desires to make a movie or to be a star. Well, guess what? Now, I don't need the movie studio anymore. Now I can do it myself. And you say, well, who's going to see it? Well, we've got another convergence of technology. We've got the internet. Now we have the ability to shoot a film, whatever we like, and we have the means for worldwide distribution. And you ready for this? For free. Now, my son told me this statistic. Do you know how many, listen to this word, years, years worth of footage is posted to the internet every single day? So every day, 720,000 hours are posted just to YouTube. That, that's only YouTube. 720,000 hours is 82 years. 82 years worth of footage is posted just on YouTube every single day. So now all of a sudden, there are these homemade celebrities. So everybody knows this Andy Warhol uh, observation that in the future, everyone's going to have 15 minutes of fame. So there you have it. It's become true. And you know what? If you don't get famous because of something you did, you now can make yourself famous. Like I just film myself and put myself up. So here you have a short little history of Hollywood and how Hollywood has come from this impossible ideal of being on the silver screen and like, how are you ever gonna make it up there? 
to be able to do it with your own phone anytime that you want and for the entire world to see you. Okay, but, but still, as interested as people are in terms of posting themselves, people are absolutely fascinated with celebrities and these homemade celebrities and people who like one of the most sort of like evocative and <laughs> mind bending kind of phrases, people who are famous for being famous, right? Like <laughs> did that ever exist before? People who are famous for being famous, but it's, it's the rule of the day now. The word choices that are used are also so evocative, so interesting. You follow someone. So if I follow you, do you know what I am? Now I'm a follower. So all of a sudden we're followers. Now I am a follower. I'm a follower of God. I'm a follower of Moshe. I'm not a follower of Kim Kardashian. But if you follow her, you are a follower. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. I remember telling my children one time, and I told them with really, actually, I was kind of, I was mostly joking. I was definitely joking. But I must have said it in this way where I actually frightened my children. I told them that for every minute of the Kardashians that you watch, you lose an IQ point. And they believed it. And why not? None of them have fallen into that rabbit hole. But there's something mesmerizing about it. We've become hypnotized. Hypnotized. I, it looks like it's out of a science fiction film. If 30 years ago, I showed you pictures of this, you would say aliens took over the world. And what I'm talking about is people walking down the sidewalk staring at their phones or crossing the street while they're staring at their phones or walking their dogs while they're staring at the phones. I'm telling you, 30 years ago, if I showed you footage of that, you would think that there was this alien takeover of society and that society had become enslaved. You'd say, when is that film coming out? And I'd be like, this is what's going on. Okay. So where is this intense interest in celebrity culture coming from? And what does it have to do with zombies? And what does it have to do with vampires? And what does it have to do with this word netzach, which means victory and eternity, this realm beyond time. And to understand it, we have to understand one more major cultural trend that's going on in the world. And that's how secular Western society is becoming. In other words, increasingly, we're living in a culture that doesn't promote doesn't promote religion, doesn't promote God, doesn't, is increasingly atheist. Just trying to, just, just, it is what it is, if you believe whatever it is, but it's, it's less and less a part of 
kind of like what's considered intelligent, rational, modern thought. Okay. Not only that, but there's an increasing inward looking. So you've got two societal trends going on at the same time, which is the fact that secular society in general is becoming increasingly atheistic. And simultaneously, we're also becoming progressively more inward looking. And I think one of the interesting uh, examples of how inward looking we've become is the whole discussion of gender. And again, I'm, I'm not, I'm just reporting right now. This is not, you know, me editorializing or saying any opinions. I'm really not. I'm, I'm just trying to convey information that's going on in society today. And you can reach your own conclusions. But the whole discussion of gender is very, very new and interesting because if it's really going on in a big way in society, this is somehow meaningful to what's going on in terms of our souls because what's going on in the world is a reflection of what's going on in our souls. So this whole discussion of gender is especially fascinating because it's so new. Up until very recently, you were either male or you were female. And that's what it was. But the idea now that one would have an opinion and it would be up for discussion and up for one's decision as to what gender you are is, is brand new territory. And to, to show you just how inward looking and reflective we've become about this, I saw a, a, an article, a, a news item on the internet. The New York Post reported it. There's a kind of a, a fancy social club. It's called Soho House. And they've got branches around the world. And the New York Post reported that as part of the membership application, if you want to try to get into this club, you uh, had to kind of check a box, which was your gender or, you know, how you, what, what your pronoun is. So it, you could, it could be he, him, she, her, they, right? These are the ones that we're familiar with today. There were 40, 40, 40 different pronouns to choose from for your own gender. 40. And, and there were, they were all kind of like abbreviations, or maybe they were words. But what I'm trying to say is I didn't recognize the, the, the great majority of them. And I, had, I honestly had no idea what they were referring to. So it, it's become, it's, oh, hang on one second. So you have these two trends going on in addition to everything else we we're talking about. This obsession with celebrity, this secularization of society today in terms of moving away from a God consciousness and a simultaneous inward looking that goes to the core of one's own identity that in, in a way that it's never gone in, in history up until now. So what is going on? 
What is going on? Let's try to get some answers right now. So I think all of this has to do with one central issue, which is that we have a soul. And a lot of times people don't pay attention to their souls. But the soul reminds us in, in various different ways that it exists. And why is celebrity so appealing? What is this fascination that we have with celebrity? And I think that the answer is, is that there is an immortality that's associated with celebrity. You know, I, I was discussing this with a friend of mine, and he pointed out something that made the point so, so, so clearly. I don't know if you remember that movie Fame, right? So it's, to this day, it's a, the, a hit song, like a very popular song. And here's the lyric. You ready? Fame, I'm going to live forever. You can't get it more, more straight up than that. We associate celebrity and fame. And again, I'm not saying that this is a conscious thing. I think this is a I think this is an unconscious thing or or a like a a soul conscious thing. What's so magnetic about celebrity is the idea that they are producing something that's going to live on that's going to live beyond them. And if you think about it, there's 100% truth to that. Great books get read hundreds of years, thousands of years sometimes, after the author's death. Great music is played and sung and danced to long after the composer leaves this world. Movies are watched and studied and enjoyed long after all the people who made them are dead. So, so there really is something, something almost magical, if you will, to celebrity, to fame. And on a soul level, it tells you, wow, you can live beyond your body's lifespan, you can last forever. Okay. So now let's, let's go deeper. You already are immortal. You already are. You know why? Because you have a soul and your soul lasts forever. But you see, because we live in a society right now, which doesn't teach these things, and which devalues God and tries to erase God consciousness from, from the realm of rational, intelligent thought, large percentages of the population are not familiar with the idea that they have a soul and that this soul legitimately lasts beyond them. Now, I want to explain something that even many religious people aren't aware of 
And that's the Torah perspective of your own immortality of your own soul. So I'm going to paraphrase the way Rabbi Ari Kaplan puts it, but he's really a great Torah authority, so you can take this as very reliable information, which is, to use a, a modern example of what he referenced, my wife and daughter went to get a new iPhone a few weeks ago. And when they wanted to switch to another iPhone, they just took all of the information from the first iPhone, they put it up in a cloud, and then they took all of that information and they put it in another iPhone. Does that sound like reincarnation to you? It does to me. By the way, Judaism believes in reincarnation, but let's, let's leave that aside for a moment. The idea that all of your information leaves your phone, Rabbi Kaplan says, is analogous to the fact that when the soul leaves the body, the soul leaves with all of the information, you leave with all of your identity. That's amazing, actually. Because what a lot of people think, well-intentioned spiritual people think, is that, yes, I believe I have a soul, and yes, I believe there's an afterlife, I believe in all of those things. And after my life, my soul ascends and it disappears into the oneness of God. No, <laughs> no, it does not. Your soul ascends. But the key here is you remain you. Now that's incredible. That's an incredible piece of information. Because it means, practically speaking, practically speaking, we really are immortal. Now, of course, we don't take our bodies with us. That's true. But who are you anyway? You are the sum total of your memories. You are the sum total of your accomplishments, of your knowledge, right? So if you get to keep that, you get to keep you. Their soul inside of them, which is telling them immortality exists. But if the person doesn't consciously know that, then they look for immortality in the world, like celebrity, like fame, and they gravitate toward that because they have no way to direct that urge inside of them in a productive, constructive way. So they identify with something that's radically more superficial, which is celebrity. But we have a vehicle. We have a vehicle to manifest our immortality. And that's the Torah, and those are the mitzvot. Each one is another bridge. Each one is another conduit to take that soul energy, that immortality, that peace of God, which is inside of a person, and to express it and to manifest it in the infinite realms. And by the way, vampire movies, and zombie films as another example of our fascination with celebrity. Because do you know what vampires are about? Vampires are immortal. Isn't that interesting? And you know what zombies are? Zombies are after you die, you're still alive. It's another expression of immortality. So do you see how all of these different cultural trends, our obsession with celebrity, our obsession with vampires and zombies, 
All of these things are reflections of a longing for immortality and how they're all a very superficial channeling of our desire to express the immortality of our own souls in a society that denies us that information that we ourselves are immortal because society has become so secular. So we don't have this information anymore. So we have to manifest this thing in some kind of way. So it comes out in this ridiculously superficial way. But these are the deepest the deepest desires and the deepest aspects of our true self coming out. Who are you? Are you your body or are you your soul? So I heard this explanation from Rabbi Green, and it's so precious to me. I, I said it over actually at my father's eulogy. Shalom Shalom, you should rest in peace. And the way Rabbi Green explained it, he said, well, you're not your body because you leave your body behind after 120. And he said, you're not your soul because your soul is a piece of God. So if you're not your body and you're not your soul, who are you? A pretty good question, don't you think? So the answer is, you are the decisions that you make over the course of your lifetime. You are the sum total of the choices that you make. That's who you are. You're not your body and you're not your soul. You are the sum total of the choices and the decisions that you make. And what stands before the heavenly court after 120? The sum total of the choices that you made. Isn't that something? Now, in terms of a more kind of uh, visual blueprint of what a human being is, you have to understand that your body is actually a very small part of who you actually are. The rabbis teach, and listen carefully, the body is the shoe of the soul. Just like your shoe covers a very small part of your body, so too your body covers a very small part of your soul. Which means that your soul expands outside of you and is actually super large. So if you can visualize that, imagine this, this giant soul and all the way at the very bottom, there's a little body. Do you know that there are halachas about looking in the mirror? It's not so simple to look in a mirror, for a man anyway. I think it's a little different for a woman. But do you know why? Because the rabbis are really trying to get us away from identifying ourselves with our physical appearance. That we should resist making a one-to-one -one correlation between the image that's staring back at me and who I am. Because every single person is this very large entity and your body is just like this tiny piece of this super large entity of who you are. 
You know, when people talk about, say, Darwin, the premise is that we start from a single cell and then we evolve into the people we are right now. So that tells me how I came to be who I am, but it doesn't tell me why I'm here. <laughs> you know what I mean? In other words, in other words, I can have the most intense, detailed, descriptive answer to how I came into existence, but now I need to know why am I in existence? What am I supposed to do with my life now that I'm here? It doesn't answer that question. And that's the deeper question. That's what I need to know. Now that I'm alive, what am I supposed to do with my life? This is, this is what's bugging us. Not how did I get here? What, you know, I'm not trying to be anti-intellectual, but on some very profound level, what difference does it make? The fact is that I'm here. Now what? Okay, so let's go a little bit deeper because I want to give you a visualization beyond that that I think can be very, very useful, okay? And it's going to answer a question, which is, you know, a lot of people think that you can't ever really know God. And, and that is true, by the way, on some level, because on the grandest level, only God knows God. Even the highest angels only see an aspect of God. So only God knows God completely. But I'm talking about knowing in a slightly different context right now. Knowing versus belief. Can you know that God exists as opposed to just believe that God exists? Well, I'd like to suggest that you can. I'd like to suggest that there is an aspect of you that knows that God exists. And that's this aspect of a person which extends beyond themselves. You see, because what is your soul anyway except a piece of God? And your soul recognizes God because it's just the same thing. So the godliness within you recognizes the godliness which is outside of you. There's an aspect of you which is beyond your physical self. And that aspect isn't believing in God. That aspect knows God. So now let me give you this visualization. Imagine a submarine deep in the water just above the ocean floor. Now that submarine can't see what's going on above the water. It can't. It's in the murky, dark waters below sea level. Can't see. The submarine is your body, and those dark, murky waters that surround you, that's this world. But wait, <laughs> there's such a thing as a periscope. Do you know what the periscope does? The periscope goes outside the submarine and it breaks the water level and it can see what's going on in the outside world. And it can report back to the crew and tell you everything that's going on outside of itself. And that's the soul in the body. Do you understand? Your soul is a periscope. 
It leaves the submarine that is your body. And it pokes through this physical world. And it can see the spiritual realms. Because your soul extends beyond your body. Do you understand? You've got your periscope up all of the time. And you can understand and you can know the true reality that surrounds you. So with that in mind, let's answer our last question. What is this whole question about netzach, meaning victory? But at the same time, netzach also means beyond time, right? The dimension above time. So that's what it is. That is victory for a person. That is an expression of your own immortality. To understand that you yourself, you yourself extend to dimensions beyond time because you yourself have immortality within you. And now the question is, what legacy do you want to leave behind in this world? Because it's true, you are going to live forever and you're going to live forever as you. But I'll tell you now, I don't want to say scary news, but the more here and now news is that God put you in this realm, which is time-bound, which is body-bound, for a reason. God put you in this realm so that you can make this world better. So how are you going to make this world better? Because that's the only reason why you're here. How are you going to do it? You have to decide. You have to figure it out. How am I going to take the gifts that God gave me Maybe it's money. Maybe you have money. What are you going to do with that money? You know, famously, they say, shrouds don't have pockets because <laughs> you can't take it with you. <laughs> so believe it or not, no one's taking anything with them except the good things that they do. No one's taking anything with them. Not one penny. Not one penny. So what are we going to leave behind? What do we want to improve? What do we want to be using our time for? Who are the people, who are the institutions that we want to devote our precious time to in this world while we're still in this world? One of my favorite all-time teachings, a friend of mine once said, at the end of 120, at the end of our lifetimes, we're going to have all the answers to all of our questions, but we're not going to be able to do anything about it. Right now, we don't have the answers to all of our questions, but we can still do something about it. You know, when we get to the next world and we go, wow, that was a great institution. And you take out your pen and you take out your check and guess what? <laughs> there's no pen and there's no check. Right? Or you want to volunteer. You want to put that label, that ladle, in that vat of soup and pour it into that bowl and hand it to that needy person. And guess what? There's no ladle and there's no vat and there are no hands. That's all got to be done now. So we'll wrap it up, but let's just review the major points here. The soul is immortal. 
The soul is your major essence. You're not defined by your body. You're so much larger than that. And just like the submarine has a periscope that allows it to see beyond the waters that it's in, so too your body has a periscope. It's called your soul, which extends beyond you, which allows you not just to believe, but to actually know that there are realms beyond you. And now we have opportunities, given the fact that we're in this world, given the fact that God put us in this world, what do we want to do with our time? How do we want to make it better? How do we want to make it better? And to realize that the real tools to, to achieve that greater manifestation of foreverness is through the Torah and the mitzvot themselves. Thanks for listening. We do this every week, so join in again next Sunday for our new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.